Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail in Fermina Kim. Last night, Congress finally passed a $900 billion COVID-19 relief package after months of clashes and debate as vaccine distribution begins across the country. Meanwhile, in national security news, it's suspected Russia is behind a massive and ongoing cyber attack targeting large companies and U.S. agencies, including the Treasury and Commerce Department. And we're going to get to those issues and more. But first, California Governor Gavin Newsom just announced that he has appointed Secretary of State Alex Padilla as Vice President-elect Kamala Harris's successor in the U.S. Senate. That makes him the first Latino from California to fill the role in state history. Joining me now to discuss all this news is Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff, representing California's 28th District in Los Angeles County and chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. Congressman Schiff, welcome back to Forum. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Uh, so first, your reaction to this breaking news of uh, Al- um, Secretary of State Alex Padilla being chosen to to fill Kamala Harris's seat. Uh, well, I've known and worked with uh, Alex for many years. He's a talented and committed public servant uh, who brings uh, a valuable perspective uh, as the son of immigrants and a Latino uh, to the Senate. Um, I think the governor's made an outstanding choice. Um, it's not a surprising choice. I think many of us thought he was uh, the leading candidate, uh, but it's an excellent choice. And I congratulate uh, both Alex and the governor. And what do you think he will bring to the role that will be different than Senator Harris? Well, you know, he'll bring a different life experience uh, and a different work experience. Um, uh, you know, he is an extraordinary story. Uh, and um, with his uh, uh, background uh, as the son of immigrants, with his uh, going on to MIT, with the uh, important and uh, great work he's done as Secretary of State, he'll bring all of those experiences to bear. Um, and I, I just think uh, the governor did good. I mean, it will mean that the Senate will no longer have any black women um, in representation. So that is that is noteworthy. Um, Alex Padilla did release a statement, Secretary of State Alex Padilla, um, saying from those struggling to make ends meet to the small businesses fighting to keep their doors open to the healthcare workers looking for relief. Please know that I am going to the Senate to fight for you. We will get through this pandemic together and rebuild our economy in a way that doesn't leave working families behind. And I want to welcome our listeners into this conversation to react to this news and uh, to ask your questions and share your comments with Congressman Schiff. If you have a question or comment, give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Congressman Schiff, before we dive in, there's 
obviously so much news we can cover with you. Um, But we did just hear some reporting on the dire state of California's hospitals and particularly the state of L.A. County hospitals where your district is located. The country's attention is on L.A. now the way it was on New York City at the start of the pandemic. What's your reaction to that news? And is there anything on a federal level that could help? Well, there's a lot we could do on the federal level to help, and it's going to be absolutely essential that we get the money in this relief package out as soon as possible to help with the related economic crisis. Um, But we need to ramp up the uh, provision of these vaccines. Uh, We need to make sure that we can purchase any available uh, new vaccines coming off the production line. Uh, This is really um, uh, essential. Uh, And I think at the same time, We need to make sure that we do something we haven't done uh, for the last nine months, which is have consistent messaging about wearing a mask, maintaining social distance, taking the pressure off our hospitals until people can get vaccinated. Um, Even then, there's going to be a period after vaccination while we have to wait for much of the country to get their shots uh, before life can return to normal. But in this crisis we're in, it is really uh, unmistakable healthcare emergency We need to do our part uh, to stay out of those hospitals by keeping ourselves safe and keeping our families safe, which is, I know, a lot to impose on people during the holidays. But uh, anyone who's been through the COVID experience and had to go to the hospital and uh, or been on a ventilator would be the first to tell you that uh, it's worth the sacrifice to have a smaller holiday season, not travel, maybe not be with all your loved ones uh, to keep yourself and them safe. And in terms of the stimulus package, you tweeted yesterday that the new relief package is not enough and should have been done months ago. What does this package achieve in your eyes? Well, the package does many things which are are laudable. It just doesn't do enough. Uh, So it extends unemployment compensation, which is going to be really important. It provides an additional $300 a week benefit um, and with a provision that I helped to author an additional 100 a week for those with mixed sources of income who were really getting uh, hurt by the way benefits were calculated. Uh, it provides another two to three hundred billion for small businesses through the PPP program. It provides more money for vaccinations and for schools, for childcare, and for renters. It imposes a an extended moratorium on evictions and on uh, student loan debt repayment. So. It does a lot of laudable things, but it leaves out some big things uh, like state local assistance. Um, and and probably the biggest problem is that given the magnitude of the crisis, it's just not enough. So we're going to have to come back to this uh, with the new administration, ASAP. Uh, this is going to have to be the number one, two and three priority for the new administration. And President-elect Biden has said that this bill is only the beginning and that more relief to those state and local governments um, is on the way with with his administration. Um, I know that a lot of, and you've probably been seeing this and and hearing it from constituents or just seeing on social media, kind of the six folks balking at the $600. Why $600? Why not just replicate the $1,200 from earlier in the year? You know, even though the vaccine is rolling out, we're, we're still in the thick of this, right? You're absolutely right. And and I was urging, uh, along with the Democratic caucus, that those stimulus payments, which are also included, uh, be $1,200, not $600. Um, but look, there were uh, a lot of the GOP members of the Senate that not only didn't want to do 
1,200. They didn't want to do 600. They didn't want to do anything. Uh, more than half of the GOP conference, I think, in the Senate really um, thought we had done too much already. Uh, and this was the difficulty Democrats had, which was negotiating with a party in the Senate that didn't want to do anything. Um, I think Mitch McConnell was determined to put this off until after the election because it divided his members. Uh, Post-election, though, we were still up against um, you know, a group who thought we had plenty of money to provide $2.2 trillion in tax cuts for large corporations and wealthy families, but we can't afford uh, more unemployment compensation or help for renters or help for small businesses. I don't understand that. Um, to me, um, you know, they claim it's about the deficit, but if it was about the deficit, they wouldn't have been pushing that huge tax cut. Uh, I think it's a deficit of values is what it really is. We're talking with Los Angeles Congressman Adam Schiff about how Southern California is handling COVID-19 cases, the recent federal relief bill, and the government's response to the recent cyber attack on federal agencies that's thought to be Russian-led. Let's go to a caller, Scott, in Palo Alto. Scott, you're on the air. Uh, good morning. I um, had a question for you. Uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez said yesterday, about 20 hours ago, members of Congress have not read this bill. It's over 5,000 pages. It arrived at 2 p.m., and we are told to expect to vote on it in two hours. I was wondering if you could give uh, your thoughts on that. Thank you, sir. Well, she's right. Um, it's a very lengthy bill. Uh, we had to vote on it shortly after it was produced and uploaded. Uh, it's certainly not the way I would recommend the country do business. And, and when you do things that quickly, you often find mistakes or things that have been uh, snuck into the bill that really don't believe belong there that you have to then take out. Um, Frankly, a big part of the problem is that we proposed the bill that was well vetted that people had time to read uh, six months ago. And Mitch McConnell sat on it for six months. And uh, only in the you know 11th hour uh, was he willing to take up any bill. And, uh, and because of the way the negotiation, therefore, was hurried, uh, it didn't give us the kind of time, I think, to be able to um, scrutinize every provision the way we should. But, you know, I will say this, um, we understand the, the importance of and the urgency of getting help to families that um, aren't going to make it through the holidays and businesses that aren't going to be able to reopen in January if they don't get help now. So we had to weigh those two competing factors, the, the desire to take more time to make sure that we studied and understood every provision of what we're voting on, on the one hand, with the need to um, provide uh, emergency help to the American people. And really, what do you say to Californians for whom this stimulus just feels, you know, too little, too late? What can they hope for from their government? You know, a regular question we get when we've we've done these kinds of shows about the econ economy or the stimulus has been wondering, you know, if these are American tax dollars, our tax dollars, why aren't they working for us? Why why is it such a um, a debate when we're facing such hard times? Well, you know, I, there's a tendency, I think, to say, you know, why can't Congress get its work done? A pox on both houses. But the reality is there is one House that's been responsible here. Um, most of us, uh, I think all of the Democrats in the House, voted to pass a package that was two or three times this big six months ago. Um, but there's a difference in values here uh, between the, the Democratic uh, leadership of the House and Democratic members and Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republican conference. Uh, it's also true, you know, Kevin McCarthy isn't a big supporter of providing this help either, and he's a Californian. Uh, I think uh, Californians need to weigh in 
with Kevin McCarthy and the Republican leadership in the state uh, and let them know that they're not representing California values. They're not helping Californians by fighting this relief. Um, they're fighting the, the best interests of their home state. Uh, and they need to be held accountable, which is another reason why, you know, the, the pox of both houses argument is destructive because it lets the responsible party off the hook. Um, if Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy can simply fall back on, well, it's just congressional dysfunction, then they avoid the responsibility for this. Uh, if you think this is too little, you need to let Republicans know they shouldn't be fighting help for more Americans. Uh, they need to get the message, and we need to make sure that they're they're held accountable at the polling place. We're talking with Los Angeles Congressman Adam, Sh- Adam Schiff, and also with you, our listeners. What questions do you have about the recent coronavirus relief bill? What questions do you have for Representative Schiff? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Um, So now I do want to switch gears to ask you about this massive ongoing cyber attack. Um, Secretary of State Pompeo says it's pretty clear Russia is the culprit. Just what is the scope of this attack? Well, first of all, you know, I'm rarely in agreement with Pompeo or or a bar or Bill Barr for that matter. But they're correct. I mean, the evidence is that Russia perpetuated this cyber hack. Um, it wasn't China. And the president's effort to dissemble on this topic is deeply dangerous and destructive because it continues to give the Russians a free hand. Um, what the Russians did was they built a backdoor in a software upgrade that uh, SolarWinds, the company SolarWinds, was using for lots of operating systems. Uh, and that's a very difficult attack to defend against. It, it allows a Trojan horse into Lots of these operating systems, such the Russians can come and go and they can exfiltrate data. They can invade people's privacy. They can prepare the battleground in, in, uh, battleground in critical infrastructure. Uh, they can steal national security secrets. They can get people's emails. Um, and the cost of mitigating this harm uh, is going to be enormous. Um, it will take a long time, months, uh, if not longer, to survey the damage. It'll take uh, a Herculean effort to make sure they're out of the system. Uh, In some systems, it may be necessary to essentially uh, burn down the system and start all over again to make sure the Russians don't inhabit it. Uh, So it's a a very serious uh, and destructive act by the Russians. Listener Daniel writes, how did we find ourselves so vulnerable to the Russian hack on our systems? Is there anything we could have done to avert it? And I had a similar question. Why didn't the government catch this sooner? And how is it this had to be discovered by a private company, too? Uh, You know, it is a very serious cybersecurity intelligence defense uh, failure. Um, And the, the fact that it was caught by the private sector, not the government agencies that have much greater resources to devote to this. Uh, is a question that I've asked the heads of our agencies and still uh, need a satisfactory answer. Um, the, the reality is this was a very sophisticated uh, attack uh, using a very sophisticated vector. Um, for companies in, this, in the supply chain, like SolarWinds, when they send updates to their customers, those updates can be encrypted and those updates can be um, uh, you know, uh, bear the electronic signature that they're legitimate. Um, and so users 
are not in a position to know if they carry something that uh, the Russians were able to infiltrate into the system. Um, the bottom line is we're only as strong as our weakest link, and our weakest link here was solar winds. Uh, and so uh, protecting the supply chain is, is going to be an enormous challenge. It, it, ha it has been. Uh, we're going to have to make decisions about how much of this uh, supply chain we need to bring in-house. Um, but uh, uh, there are a lot of still unanswered questions. And, and one other point I would make is solar winds is not the only vector that the Russians use. They used other ways in. Uh, and all of those other pathways are going to have to be identified. All those other doors are going to have to be closed. And all those other systems in which they were able to gain entry are going to have to be assessed to determine whether uh, we have been able to purge them from the system. Right. Former cybersecurity czar for George W. Bush, Richard Clark, told CNN that the military calls this preparation for war, where these backdoors are established by the hackers can be activated at some point in the future. And so are we should we be concerned <laughs> that these backdoors might not all be discovered and shut down and something could become, you know, that they've planted these seeds for activation in the future? Yes. And, you know, frankly, this has been a persistent concern even before this hack that uh, Russians or other nations uh, may have penetrated our critical infrastructure and put um, a presence in place where if push came to shove, uh, they could shut down electrical grid or impair our air traffic control system or other vital infrastructure. Um, and, uh, and, and so, you know, we need to make a continual effort to do our diagnostics to determine, are they present? Where are they? How do we purge them? How do we protect um, this kind of infrastructure? But yes, there's a persistent concern, which is only elevated now, given the magnitude of this hack, that the Russians um, may be positioned to uh, take debilitating cyber action should we ever end up in a conflict with them. Listener Victoria writes, can you please distinguish here between espionage and an attack? Isn't this espionage? Not to downplay it, but don't all countries, those who can at least participate in cyber spying, don't we? The difference is these guys got caught. What's your response to Victoria? No, Victoria, it's a very good question. And I think at this point, um, it's probably too early to give a definitive answer because we don't fully know what the Russians have done with their access. Um, but but I also think we need to look at what the Russians have done in cyberspace, not in isolation, not this one hack, uh, because, of course, the Russians hacked our democratic institutions and they didn't simply do it to gain intelligence. They did it to weaponize the data. They did it to leak stolen emails from Hillary Clinton in 2016. They did it to target a social media campaign to influence the outcome of our election in 2016, 2018, and 2020. Um, so these are uh, part of you know a broad Russian malevolent campaign, which goes beyond the United States. It includes attacking infrastructure in Ukraine, uh, so uh, you know destructive acts mm -hmm. like that. Um, and uh, and the Russians need to be evaluated on the whole host of their cyber activity, which is okay. very oh, different. I'm going to just jump in. We'll have more with Congressman Adam Schiff after the break. This is Forum. I'm Ariana Prail. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. 
When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail in Fermina Kim. We're talking with Los Angeles Congressman Adam Schiff about how Southern California is handling the COVID-19 cases, case rise, the recent federal relief bill, and the government's response to the recent cyber attack on federal agencies thought to be Russian-led. And we're talking with you, our listeners. Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Uh, before the break, we were um, still talking about the the Russian cyber attack. And the Trump administration seems to be passing the buck again on holding Russia accountable. President Tr- Trump still not directly acknowledging it was Russia, despite you know the State Department saying the signs point there. Uh, Richard Clark, uh, who I mentioned before, uh, former cybersecurity czar for George W. Bush, thinks everything should be on the table, including offensive cyber actions from the United States. What do you think is an appropriate response for the Biden administration to, to take once in office? Well, you know, again, I think um, we won't know the full scope of what we ought to do in response until we know the full scope of the Russian attack. Um, but I, I think the Biden administration is already contemplating sanctions and a cyber response. Uh, I think both are appropriate. Um, they both need to be proportional. And I, again, I think we need to consider this isn't uh, as serious as this, as widespread uh, as this attack is. This is not something in isolation. Uh, the Russians' bad activity in the cybersphere uh, is really cross-cutting, and I think our response needs to be appropriate to the full scale of what the Russians are doing and have done over the last several years. It also ought to be, frankly, a global response. We're not the only victims of this hack. Uh, it reached, reached uh, 18,000 customers of solar winds around the world. Uh, other nations have been similarly impacted by Russian interference in their political processes. Um, there ought to be a strong international effort to establish rules of the road uh, for what, uh, what is uh, absolutely unacceptable and, and will draw international sanctions and repercussions. Uh, so I think all of that should be on the table. Um, when people talk about is this an act of cyber war, you know, I think we want to be careful not to suggest that there should be a, um, you know, a, a kinetic strike of some kind or the, the use of troops. Uh, I don't think we're talking about that kind of an act, but I do think we need to consider the full range of Russian cyber malevolent actions. All right, let's go to caller Yacinta in Agora Hills. Yacinta, you're, oh, I think we just lost Yacinta. Uh, let's go to caller Marie in San Francisco. Marie, you're on the air. Hello. Yes. Hi, Marie. You're on the air. Hi. Um, I was. I have a rudimentary background in computer science, and I just the idea of these large systems ever being really completely secure it strikes me as unlikely. And I, and, and the whole idea that the only way, like the fact is that we only know about it because they failed. I wonder if there's any really radical alternatives out there, like systems that are safe even if they're completely transparent. Thank you. You know, thank you for the question. It, I don't think it's the case that we only know about this because they've failed. Um, 
you know, the Russians, um, according to the public reports, have been in these systems for months. Um, by some public reports, uh, March, and some public reports even longer than that. Um, and one of the things that this very capable adversary does is they don't try to steal everything at once. They try to use their accesses to gain the most important information first, uh, and they try not to do anything too over it uh, to be discovered. Now, they did get discovered uh, by uh, this private cybersecurity firm, um, but nonetheless, we don't know prior to discovery just how much they were able to exfiltrate or make use of. Um, I, I think you're right. It's exceedingly difficult to protect a, any large system that isn't air-gapped, that is, that's connected in some way, in some respect, uh, online. Um, and those that have some kind of air gap or distance between uh, what you can access online and otherwise are going to be more secure. Um, I don't think that means that we try to make every system transparent. Um, I, I do think you're right, though. We need to be thinking outside the box. How do we deal with a problem of this magnitude where the battlefield is really so asymptomatic, asymmetrical, rather, um, that is the, the, the adversary only needs to find one weak point of entry and to protect, you have to guard every uh, possible uh, um, way in. So um, we, we will need to think outside the box, but we're also going to need to really harden our defenses. And I believe we have caller Yacinta in Agora Hills back with us now. Yacinta, you're on air. Hi. Thank you, Congressman Schiff, uh, for getting on and your insights. My question is, I know that uh, you mentioned earlier things can get slipped into that um, relief bill, and going through 5,000 pages in a matter of hours is practically impossible. My understanding is that within that relief bill, there are um, millions of dollars going to the Sudan and other countries um, for support of some nature or another. And I'm just wondering how and why does that happen? How will it be mitigated? Um, and will that, will that continue uh, through approval for this bill? Uh, you know, I think what, uh, what you may be referring to is that the relief bill was not taken up alone. Um, we took up two bills, very large bills last night. Um, one that was an appropriation bill um, that was solely an appropriation bill that covered several different government agencies uh, and another that included other appropriation bills along with the relief bill, um, including the Intelligence Authorization Act, which I worked on. Uh, so these were not uh, sole bills. They were sometimes referred to them as omnibus bills that include different proposals in the same package. Um, that's how that often happens. Uh, in terms of if there are provisions either in the relief bill or the appropriation bill that, you know, upon further um, investigation or review, uh, weren't adequately vetted, weren't well thought out, never had committee consideration, um, then we will have to go and repeal them or we'll have to go and make sure that uh, administratively um, uh, funds aren't used for any purpose for which the Congress didn't intend. Uh, but I, I think that's Probably what you're referring to, that is, that the relief bill itself was part of a broader package that included some of our appropriation bills uh, that are meant to keep our government agencies funded, but also meant to set out the guidelines in which they can utilize that funding. 
And we have a comment from listener Lupe who writes, so pleased that finally a person of Mexican heritage was selected for high level for such a high level position. And on topic of Russia, it says Russia has been aided by Trump, so not surprised about the breach. My question is, how do homeless people access the stimulus money? Congressman Schiff? Um, you know, yeah, we, there, there are dedicated funds uh, for the homeless in the stimulus bills that we have passed. Uh, that go to uh, different um, homeless uh, agency providers that go to local governments. We had tried to get much more uh, generous funding uh, that was just dedicated to states and local governments that can be used for homeless uh, um, uh, individuals. And uh, and so I, I don't think we did nearly enough, but there is dedicated funding in the relief packages that we passed during the course of the year uh, that that's c- completely dedicated to the homeless population. Others that go to uh, local government uh, agencies that can be used for homeless, and then of course the rental assistance uh, that is included in this bill. And I think it's around I want to say 15 billion. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember. There was a debate about 15 or 25 billion. Um, that money will hopefully prevent adding to the homeless uh, problem by uh, helping people who are at risk of not making their rent payments. So there, there is uh, funding available in the bill. Um, and I would uh, reach out if, you're, uh, if the caller is affiliated with an organization serving the homeless to uh, your member of Congress to find out uh, specifically what agencies or how agencies go about accessing those funds. All right, let's go next to caller Mark in San Jose. Mark, you're on the air. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, uh, My question is generally about uh, government spending. Um, We had been running record uh, deficits uh, even before the pandemic, and then we have added added to that, and then we have record debt. And it seems like every administration is just kicking the can down the road uh, and just spending more and more as if, uh, you know, it grows on trees. So I'm wondering what the Biden administration is going to do. Um, You know, raising taxes probably is not going to cover uh, even the uh, even the deficit. So what is the plan and uh, what is your level of concern about debt and deficit? Well, thank you for the question. And, uh, you know, there's no question that there's a reckoning that's going to have to come due uh, with our deficit and our debt. Um, And I think the question is, when is the right time to tackle that? Uh, do we try to tackle that during this recession, this near depression? Uh, and I think the answer is this is not the time uh, to try to um, put the deficit as our top priority, uh, rather getting help to families that can't feed themselves or keep a roof over their head. That has to be the emergency priority. Uh, but once we do regain our economic footing, once the recession comes to an end and the pandemic comes to an end, we are going to need a mid and long term plan to pay down our debt and deficit to put us back on a on a sound financial footing. Um, that's going to require uh, raising revenues. Uh, it's going to mean that some of these Trump and other tax uh, cuts, uh, you know, for large corporations and wealthy families, we can't afford anymore. Um, but I think there's a time and a place um, when families are literally uh, lining up in mile long lines to get food, that's probably not the time to say we can't afford uh, to be helping people. Um, But the caller is absolutely right. This is a 
uh, serious long-term um, and even midterm problem for the country. Uh, once we get back on our economic feet, uh, we're going to have to uh, make a serious down payment on this and figure out a long-term fiscal plan. I think that's what the Biden administration will do. Marsha writes, you deserve some kind of medal for your incredibly hard and excellent work impeaching Donald J. Trump. You held the highest moral ground and articulated it beautifully. That final speech will go down in the history books seriously. Uh, That does lead me to a question, you know, kind of a point of reflection as the year comes to a close and the Trump presidency is in its last days. Looking back, why did impeachment not seem to matter at all as an issue in 2020? It didn't come up, you know, during the presidential campaigns and the debates, for example, What did it accomplish? Well, I think the reason that it didn't come up uh, in the fall uh, campaigns uh, was that the country, since the impeachment was overtaken with a pandemic that claimed uh, a quarter million American lives. Um, And when you consider the range of horrors of this administration, uh, it's hard uh, for anything to surpass the the negligent um, malfeasant response to the pandemic, which has uh, killed so many Americans. Uh, So, uh, you know, I I think for good reason, the Biden campaign was focused on ending the pandemic, getting the country back on its feet, restoring our health uh, and the health of our democracy. Um, And for the Trump campaign, they realized that uh, impeachment was not going to be a good issue for them. Um, I I think what impeachment did accomplish um, was important in that Um, We did our constitutional duty. We provided the strongest sanction available to us for a president who abused their office. We did our very best to warn the country that if they found him guilty, which most senators did, but still refused to convict him, which um, sadly all the Republicans except Mitt Romney did, um, then the damage that he could go on to do would be enormous. And in fact, the damage that he has done since uh, with all of these deaths has been Um, tragically beyond anything we could have imagined. Um, But I think we um, set an important precedent that any president that abuses their power will be impeached. Um, And those who enabled this president um, and failed to honor their constitutional oath, uh, I think they will, um, uh, some of the darkest chapters of history will be reserved for for those that uh, failed to do their duty when the country really needed them to. We're talking with Los Angeles Congressman Adam Schiff. This is Forum. I'm Ariana Prail. All right, let's go to caller Dan in Windsor next. Dan, you're on. Oh, hello. Uh, Congressman Schiff, I, too, want to thank you and congratulate you on uh, express vision for your efforts in the impeachment and exposing, you know, what Trump and his supporters have done. Um, My question would be, I have heard some word of, uh, an effort to continue investigations of Trump's action uh, by some congressman. And I know there is the feeling of wanting to have bipartisanship, but that the people who enabled this tragedy uh, need to be made accountable. Can you say anything about how, for instance, the Republicans who supported the ridiculous lawsuit out of Texas would be held accountable for what they've done and how that people can really know um, about how terribly uh, Trump administered the country? It's a very good question. And 
you know, I think all of us uh, from the president-elect on down are going to have to weigh the competing interests in accountability and also healing and moving forward. Um, there are some investigations that we are in the midst of that, that aren't going to be done by the end of this year. In the Intelligence Committee, for example, we've been investigating the politicization of intelligence at the Department of Homeland Security, um, a whistleblower who alleges that analysts were told stop reporting on Russian interference in the election, it's embarrassing to the president, uh, or were, were told uh, to hype the threat of terrorism at the southern border a couple of years ago to justify Trump's wall, um, or were told to downplay the threat from right-wing uh, white supremacists and, and hype the threat from Antifa. Um, or whose intelligence assets were abused to surveil protesters in Portland. These are obviously very serious allegations that need to be investigated, and those uh, responsible need to be held accountable. That work will go on. Um, you know, criminal uh, charging decisions will be made by the new Justice Department. Um, uh, and I, I think there won't be a bright line where you can say, uh, uh, you know, here's where we will favor accountability over healing, uh, but no further. I, I think it's going to have to be done on a case-by-case -case basis. The more serious the allegation, the more accountability is necessary. Um, but uh, some may have to give way in the interests uh, that are less serious in the interest of uh, moving forward and, and healing. In terms of members of Congress and the shameful actions of joining that completely bogus lawsuit, um, or, you know, these enablers who met with the president last night in the Oval Office to discuss um, contesting the uh, electoral count in the Congress and the joint session of Congress, or, or worse, uh, people like Mike Flynn um, discussing the invocation of martial law. Um, you know, sadly, um, the voters are the ones who should be holding at least the members of Congress accountable. Uh, and given that many of these House members have such gerrymandered districts, that's very hard to do. Uh, one of the things that we we hope to do if we're successful in the special election in Georgia and can flip the Senate is pass national redistricting reform uh, so that none of these people get a pass for their uh, betrayal of their constitutional duty. Um, but there's probably not much more that can be done. I, I don't think that, uh, you know, much as I value my colleagues who suggested otherwise, I don't think that we can refuse to seat members of Congress who join that lawsuit um, and because we feel they've they've uh, reneged on their constitutional duty. That's really for their voters to decide. And just really briefly, in about five seconds, uh, listener Susan wants to know, is the bill available as a PDF and where can uh, she find it? Yes, the, the bill is available online. I think if you go to www.house.gov, um, we can find it there. I, I, Great. Yes. Okay, no, that's yeah. perfect. And thank you, yeah. um, Congressman Adam Schiff, for joining us. This is Forum. I'm Ariana Pralin for Mina Kim. We'll be back tomorrow. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, 
always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis from KQED Podcasts comes on our watch season two. New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.